Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Instead of the regular news today, we're talking about something very important indeed. We're talking about money and mental health. Fintech Insider had the good fortune of being invited to the recent Money and Mental Health Tech Sprint in partnership between the FCA and the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. A tech sprint, much like a hackathon, involves teams of interested parties giving up their time in the middle of a week or a weekend to solve a specific challenge. The day had talks from the likes of Martin Lewis of Money Saving Expert, the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute themselves, Tom Blanford, the CEO of Monzo, uh, the FCA, and, and many, many more. It was a very interesting and insightful day. And of course, whilst we were at the hackathon slash tech sprint, we managed to record a number of interviews. And with a new interviewer this week, we've got a new member of the FinTech Insider family. Dr. Harriet Burdell-Pierce brings a powerful and unique perspective to some of the questions, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. And with now being more important than ever for raising awareness around mental health, with the royal family having done this recently in the news, there's never been a more important time for us as an industry to be more reflective on the subject. Our first interview is with Polly McKenzie, the Director of Money and Mental Health Policy Institute, who sets the scene for why it's so important for us as an industry to grasp the subject and make a difference in people's lives. So over to Harriet. Take it away. Uh, so I'm here this morning with Polly McKenzie. Uh, very nice to meet you. Morning, Harriet. So can I ask uh, a little bit about yourself and your background? I'm the director of Money and Mental Health, which is the, the charity looking at the links between financial difficulties and mental health problems. I'm really a policy person. I, I spent five years in government working for the coalition, uh, where I was director of policy for Nick Clegg uh, and, and have been doing this basically ever since. Absolutely fantastic. And, and so why are you having the tech sprint over these two days? So our ambition is, is, as I say, to break the link between financial difficulties and mental health problems. And right from the start, we thought that whilst technology can't solve every problem, it's a big part of helping people to manage both their mental health and also uh, their financial difficulties. And, you know, it's, it's easy to see the way that fintech is going to transform the financial services industry. And over in the world of mental health tech, there's a huge amount of innovation and exciting kind of project development going on. And we thought it'd be really exciting to try and bring some of those thought streams together and see what happens when they meet and see whether you can actually start to develop tools that really transform both people's health and their finances to kind of create, I guess, financial well-being. Okay, so who's, who's actually here today uh, working on this tech sprint? Are they companies, enthusiasts? Can you tell us a bit more about who you've invited? There's some companies, developers, particularly from from the big banks, but there's also people from kind of startups. A few, you know, there's a team from UCL who are basically, you know, just I hate to use the word geeks, but basically incredibly intense, you know, whereas there's other people who are, you know, who have their day job is, you know, designing a, a tweak to the UI of the nationwide login page or whatever it might be. So, so it's quite a diverse bunch. And then we've brought in a smattering of subject matter experts, mental health people. I was just talking to a consultant psychiatrist who specializes in autism and ADHD just next door. And uh, we've got people who do design, people who do a whole variety of mental health so that they can kind of... Uh, inspire, I guess, the teams to, to be thinking about that kind of mental health interface of their financial products. So could you tell us a bit more about the research done at the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute? Well, we've published a series of papers. We're a policy institute, so publishing papers is what we do best, which is why we've had to bring in, a, you know, about 100 other volunteers and experts to do the actual building. Basically, the first piece of research we did um, brought together the voices of about four and a half thousand people with mental health problems 
talking about their experiences with finances and with the financial services industry. Because we wanted to really understand why it is that there's this big link between financial financial health and mental health. People with mental health problems are three times more likely to be in problem debt. And we know about a lot of other kinds of financial harm that exist. You know, people who run through their life savings, people who kind of over-restrict the amount of money that they spend. But, you know, as a policy person, you can't fix a problem until you really know what's causing it. And it's not enough to just say, oh, financial difficulties can make you stressed or to say that mental health problems can you know, bring about financial difficulties. What are the kind of complicated pathways? So we've drawn some maps, basically building on those four and a half thousand voices that are quite hard to, certainly quite hard to explain without a visual prompt. But the big pathways from mental health problems into financial difficulties are the three. First of all, you're likely to lose your job uh, or have to take reduced hours. Uh, you might be less productive at work and not, not take overtime. Or people with serious and enduring mental health problems, like schizophrenia, for example, have only a 10% chance of having a job at all. But then a couple of things which are, I think, much more responsive to kind of technology support and change. People tend to disengage from their financial management. Uh, so 92% of people told us that they find it harder to just make decisions and they need support. People stop opening the bills. They stop having the confidence to phone creditors or phone the energy supplier and explain why it is that they're behind or complain about, you know, a, a mistake on their tariff. Um, and they certainly don't, you know, shop around and save money. Uh, and then the third serious effect, it seems, of lots of mental health problems, though of course not all, is people tend to spend money. Often that's talked about in the context of bipolar, where during the manic phase of bipolar, it's actually a diagnostic criterion, is overspending. Uh, you know, people suddenly become terribly ambitious. They're going to change the world. They borrow £50,000 to start up a business only for the kind of the tidal wave of depression to hit and the business to fold and collapse. And then actually the debt pulls them down even further. But what our research has shown is that spending money in response to periods of poor mental health, basically medicating mood, seems to happen in all sorts of mental health problems. So we've got stories of people with postnatal depression spending money on their children to try and make themselves feel less of a failure, people with PTSD, gambling to kind of recreate that intense edging experience um, of whatever it is that the trauma they experienced. And it seems that across the conditions that people might experience, 93% of people told us that they spend more when they're unwell. So you lose your job, you stop shopping around um, and dealing with your bills. So your cost of borrowing goes up and then you spend more. It's basically, you know, no wonder people end up in financial difficulties. Um, and when you're looking at this data, have you thought about um, the fact that you might end up in almost like a diagnostician role, finding out possibly from people's transaction data that they do have mental health problems when the people themselves may not realise? Is that an issue that's been discussed at all? I think we're a long way from that, but it's potentially quite interesting. There's already some academics who've looked at whether you could not diagnose bipolar, but provide early warning signs of of the kind of the, the the journey up into the manic state by listening to phone calls, basically, because people's speech patterns tend to speed up um, and they may actually make a lot more phone calls. So an app on your phone, it's actually the perfect place to be to be listening in and providing that early warning sign to say, you might need to go and see your psychiatrist, you might need to check your medication. And you can imagine a financial product that did a similar sort of thing that reflects back to you that something's changing in your spending I don't think there's ever going to be a tool that sort of pings up on your phone and says, oh, by the way, we think you have schizophrenia. That's just not going to happen. But if you can, if you can provide people the 
early warning signs that get them into care and treatment. Because often I think the, the problem with mental health problems is that they they cloud your ability to see that you're unwell. Um, and, and, and that's what technology can do is reflect it back to you. So as well as the technology, do you think that the professionals as well have a role in talking about their experiences and using their experiences and developing these solutions? I think it's been really exciting over today and yesterday to hear so many people actually bringing their experiences to the development kind of process. I've heard people talking about, you know, my dad, my sister, um, oh, when I was depressed, this is how I felt. It's absolutely vital. You know, I think most technology products only really work when they interact with human beings successfully. That's why, you know, user interface design and is incredibly important. I guess what we are trying to encourage people to do is just widen their definition of who humans are. Having a product that responds very successfully to the average human is great, but can we can we do better than that? Because you know the neurotypical human is actually pretty rare. There's loads of people, one in four of us, who have a mental health problem. How can we create design interfaces that help those people interact? We'll only really be able to do that by by testing and exploring with people with lived experience. And it's great that some of them are in the room. It sounds really refreshing that you've got people actually talking about mental health and their own experiences. Do you think that um, financial services and the financial sector is good at that? Do you think that the stigma is being effectively battled or is there still a way to go? I think it's something that which we're trying to address across society. You know, Mind and Rethink, the big mental health charities run this uh, Time to Change campaign to encourage people to come forward. I think the government's done quite a lot in normalising the idea that we can talk about these things, but there's still a long way to go. Um, many, less than half of people we've spoken to would be comfortable telling a creditor about their mental health problems. Uh, and we need to change that. I think conversations like the ones we're having today are the beginning of that, but there's still a long way to go. And so what's, in an ideal world, what outcomes would you like to see from um, from today and yesterday? I'd like to see some some practical ideas to really help people stay on top of their finances during periods of poor mental health. I don't think there should be a, a financial penalty from ill health and technology, I think, can help to, to minimise that. You know, it doesn't solve all the problems. There's going to still be questions about how the benefit system is run and how treatment services are run and waiting times. But if we can just keep people afloat whilst they're unwell, we can actually speed up recovery times and mean that, you know, three months of depression isn't basically a financial life sentence. And, and that kind of leads on to uh, what's the long-term goal after these two days? How, how will you be moving forward? Well, I really hope that, you know, we're having this conference this afternoon where there'll be some people from, uh, from the bigger banks who might want to invest in building this kind of technology within their internal systems or, or taking uh, products on. We'd like to work more closely with startups and innovators and, and people with new ideas just to try and, I guess, normalise the idea that building products for the one in four of us with mental health problems is sensible. Do you think that there is a role for these services to be applied more generally outside of mental health as well and to be responsive to the general population? I think there's a huge role here. There is a trend towards uh, personalisation of services. And if you can start to think about your customer segments, not just in terms of where they live or what kind of clothes they like or how much money they make, but the way their minds work um, and how perhaps they might rely on other people. So I think a lot of what we'll see coming out of, of today is services that bring in a third party supporter 
or champion that might be able to help. That's incredibly valuable. And it's not just useful for people with mental health problems. It might be useful for people um, in older life with dementia. It might be useful for people with learning disabilities. You know, uh, it might be useful for parents who want to give money to their kids when they're off at university, but don't want them to spend it on beer. You know, you, you can think of ways that these kind of personalization features could be useful for people with mental health problems for the ones who are willing to wave a flag and say, hello, I have uh, uh, postnatal depression, I need this particular tool, or might be just useful for people who say, do you know what, I've got a real problem, I always spend money on payday, and I'd really like to be restricted from doing that. And if we can, if we can start to design products that are, are just more adaptable instead of one size fits all, I think we'll actually um, provide a better service to all consumers, not just the one in four of us with a mental health problem at any one time. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you. Wow. Great interview, Harriet. And thank you, Polly. I took from that interview how much influence fintech and financial services can have on creating better lives when we create products. Illustrated even more by the first-hand accounts in our next interview and a live working example of one of the hackathon projects, Harriet interviews Beth Robertham from Booper, who's also joined by Marcus Thornley, the CEO of Play. Enjoy the interview. So I'm here with Beth Robotham and uh, Marcus Thornley. Good morning. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. Um, could you just tell us a bit about yourselves and what you do? Sure. So I'm Beth Robotham. I work at Booper in the UK. I work with large corporates to help them develop health and wellbeing solutions. So to help them look after their people and also their people to look after themselves. I'm really interested in financial wellbeing because that's such a key component of holistic wellbeing. Um, and it's the part that the market's really struggling with. Um, my name is Marcus Thornley. I'm the CEO of a company called Play. We're a startup based in London, spun out of the mobile gaming industry. Um, and what we try and do is use our um, knowledge of, of making games to try and build experiences um, that help people make great decisions, whether they're great um, health decisions, great finance decisions, great learning decisions. Um, I think from us, from our point of view, I think we've got a real personal interest in what's going on today. I think to a large degree, digital has some responsibility for what I see as being a growing mental health issue. Um, and as people who ply our trade in digital, I think we've got a responsibility to try and help come up with solutions or, or, or to help people come up with solutions. So what have you both been working on the last two days? Well, it's been a fun two days. So Play and Booper have put together this idea about an app that helps people think about their well-being and their finances at the same time. So it kind of blends the ability to track your mood using emojis, so nice and accessible, easy to use, whilst also showing you key information about your, uh, I guess, your banking transactions and helping you think about how you manage that. So it's for someone that is well or someone that is maybe unwell from a mental health perspective, but it's just making it so much more accessible. You know, banking is intimidating if you're suffering from mental health symptoms. Um, and so using Play's expertise to make stuff fun and engaging, the plan is that we make it accessible for when you're well and maybe when you're not well too. I think it's a really important point in that whole kind of accessibility engagement piece. I think um, financial services products um, have been blighted to a degree because um, they're functionally fine, um, but I don't think they always kind of drive engagement and drive kind of daily customer value. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is, is come up with an approach that, um, that feels as though it's made for the user. Um, not made for the company, and something that returns real value to people. I think if we can come up with something that allows people to understand where they are today, to put that into some sort of financial context, and that then allows them to make better decisions tomorrow, 
that will be a huge win and that's what we're trying to focus on. So in terms of the app, would this be something which someone who knows they already have a mental health problem would download or is it, how would you encourage people to be using it and engaging with it? So it's actually aimed at everybody. So the marketing strategy would be quite broad, but it would be tagged potentially in the right circles as something that is sort of safe and accessible to someone with mental health issues, something that psychiatrists or psychologists might recommend to people that they see to help them think about these issues. I don't, Marcus, anything yeah, you want to just add? The distribution would be really interesting. I mean, there's different routes you can go down. It might be something that is distributed through partners. So you can imagine through certain banks. Um, from Beth's background, it might be really interested if it was distributed or um, at least signposted through employers. I think employers, and you know, we're a small business, but I think we have an absolute responsibility to the mental wellness of the people who work for us. Um, and I think that probably goes through all companies. And if that isn't a realisation today, it will absolutely be a realisation tomorrow. So I think there's different ways you can go through, whether it's complete B2C, just dropping it in the App Store, or actually using partner channels. But it's important that it isn't signposted just as a, just for you if you're mentally unwell. Um, I think mindfulness is a, is a hugely growing area. And if we can overlay that with financial data, because you know, we don't live in these silos. We're one person with a financial dimension and a health dimension. If we can tie those things together and actually play back insights to people to help them make better decisions, that could be really powerful. So, so it's interesting because this actually sounds like a much more general concept which has an application in mental health rather than a mental health application which, which goes the other way around, if you see what I mean. I think so. I think, I think the issue is if usually in, in kind of business apps, they are sponsored by a particular business, which means that it's very easy to focus on the needs of the business or the needs of the sector. I think it's quite an interesting approach to concentrate on, on the needs of users um, and users don't sit in silos. And so that's what we're trying to get across. It's not purely um, something that sits only in a mental health silo. And actually, we've got experience in this field. So Boofer and Play collaborated on a wellbeing app, which has the exact same problem, which is you've got the engaged and the non-engaged. So how do you get the non-engaged to feel part of it and to keep coming back? Um, so that's really where we started, is thinking about that mentality, that habit forming and that behaviour change. And to Marcus's point, that predictive piece and insight is something I can't get from my banking app. So it suddenly becomes much more about me and less about the bank telling me how much money I owe, how much money I have. So it's like, it feels like my money again. It feels like it's about me. Yeah. And it seems as well, from what you've described, that it might have a fantastic secondary effects of actually getting people to be quite introspective as well, something which is really important with mental health to be checking in with themselves. So have you thought about that as a secondary? So I think it's really, really important. I think it's also important to check in with others. Um, I think, you know, extrapolating to a gaming point of view, it's really important that people feel as though they're winning. Losing is incredibly um, demotivating and causes people to kind of stop engaging. And so I think it's important in anything that we, um, that we design that people feel they can engage on a daily basis and they can get feedback to themselves, as you say, be a bit more kind of mindful and introspective, but also a facility that they can share where they're at with trusted other people and, and not be kind of forced because, you know, the, 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 the reality might be bleak or the app might be really austere, but not be forced to kind of shoulder something on their own. So one of the things we're looking at is if you hit certain realities or a certain situation, is there a way that in a, in a very safe way, you, you could share some of your data with trusted people, whether it's parents, friends, whoever it may be, um, so you're not kind of shouldering it on your own.
Yeah, I suffer from anxiety. And so if I think about my experience, obviously, I don't suffer from high anxiety all the time. It goes up and down. And when I'm well, I'm really in control of this. And when I'm not so well, I have to talk to my friends and family for support. And the idea being that this app helps me do that because with money, shame is a big part of it. And shame is a critical part of something that we have to target in mental health. And so, you know, if it can trigger a notification to my sister to say, best spending habits have changed. You guys have agreed that, you know, we're going to contact you at this right time. Why don't you reach out to her? That's really beneficial for me as my mindset narrows as I become, you know, less and less connected to what's really going on. So there's something we think quite unique and quite special about that that hasn't been done before. And in terms of how it works, would it be, if you can tell us more about it, would it be sending out specifically about what your spending habits have been or would it be more general, like something's not quite fitting a pattern? So I think yeah. it's, it's, yeah, more general. I think, I think it's really important that control rests with the user. This isn't some way to manage people and be in control of them. And so just in, in the same way as you could go into any decent app and you could have your notification preferences, you would imagine that you could have your notification preferences within this. So it may be, actually my preference is if I spend more than 400 pounds in a day, I would like some sort of alert or notification. Or if I go below a certain floor or if I spend X amount on a certain good, if I spend you know, more than 500 pounds on shoes actually, that's a trigger and then you can decide what those triggers might be it might be an email it might you know you're, you're dealing on a, um, a device that can make phone calls so it might just be kind of phone a friend type thing but something that puts you in control and allows you the system to instigate the kind of um, the variables and the um, the actions that, you, that you've agreed you want it to do and something else that I find really interesting is the last question which we've been asking a lot of people today is uh, we found that people have actually been sharing their own mental health stories, which has been fantastically refreshing where we still think that stigma is, is, is such a huge problem. Um, what do you think the role is for professionals and people working here at the Tech Sprint in sharing their experiences and using them to develop these solutions? I think it's absolutely critical for two reasons. One, to Marcus's point, these solutions have to be user-centric. They have to be about the person's experience because that's the only thing that we're going to be able to connect with. I think the second thing is, you know, we have an opportunity through uh, this work and through other work to help people understand that it's not just them. You know, actually, lots of people have mental health experiences. They say one in four. I suspect that's, you know, considerably underrepresenting what's really happening. And so if you hear someone sharing an experience like yours, that creates a community and a connection that, that might encourage you to speak up and step forward. And I think that's really critical. And I think there's, there's another angle, which is reframing it and reframing it from something as you go and use the word shame or something that's kind of personal or, or, or something that you carry alone to something that can be talked about. And I think, you know, products can do that to a degree. Products can help reframe something um, and hopefully you're seeing some of the stuff we put out today in terms of the user experience that it's reframed and less of a health issue. Can I just add one other point which I think is really important about today? Play have built our app okay. in less than 24 hours. Wow. So this stuff isn't hard to do. You know, th there is some investment needed behind it, but it's not hard and it can be quick. So we must make sure that we use today to actually do stuff and not in just enjoy design. And I think that that's the key piece that I think people really need to focus on is what can we do with this and how quickly can we go? Because it's okay to pilot, it's okay to test. You know, that, that's how the best innovations get grown. So I think that's key. So you're obviously you've been collaborating before, you'll be moving forward with this after today as well. Well, well, well I have I to think. see, but I, I hope so. I mean, I th think it's we try and roll our business in such a way that, you know, there's, there's paid for business stuff we do, but then also kind of um, company projects. Um, and I would love this to roll on to, to be a company project. I think 
you know, it's really important for all of us to have impact at work. And I think that whole mental health question is something that is really stimulating and, and, and purposeful. Yeah, let's be the generation that kind of shifts this. Yeah, I agree. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Beth and Marcus. Uh, we now just need to take a brief moment to thank our sponsors. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest, most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. And thank you very much to the Fintech Insider sponsors. I thought the interview and the insights from Beth was truly insightful. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, the, the struggles that people go through just to manage their money with these one-size-fits-all solutions that come from banks today really need looking at and reconsidering. And I reflected on that as Harriet interviewed Joe Hill, the Director of Market Intelligence and Data and Analysis at the FCA. Take it away, Harriet. So I'm here with Joe Hill. Joe, lovely to see you this morning. Nice to meet you too. So just first question, can I just get a bit more about your role in the FCA and a bit about you? Um, I am the Director of Market Intelligence Data and Analysis for the FCA and that encompasses a, quite a broad spectrum of things. Um, I look after the FCA's RegTech activities, I look after all the data and information that comes into the FCA, the majority of the analysis that happens off of the back of the uh, data that we receive from firms that we regulate and I also maintain our consumer relationships and our consumer body relationships to really understand how consumers are interacting with financial services. Okay, fantastic. And can you tell me um, a bit more about how the FCA came to work with the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute? We've had a long-standing relationship with the Money and Mental Health uh, Policy Institute looking at issues affecting mental health and thinking about how we as a regulator need to respond to that. Um, so certainly when we've been consulting on policy and other things, they have been one of our go-to bodies to talk to. And then as we started to develop our RegTech agenda, so looking at how technology could help develop regulation, make regulation more efficient, we certainly started to have some early conversations with the Money and Mental Health Institute who were quite interested in our approach to doing this, TechSprints being one tool that we use, to really see if we could start to get more under the skin of the um, mental health issues and trying to explore more of the solutions that were available. So you've talked about using tech sprints. I understand that you've had a couple beforehand. Can you tell me a little bit more about those? Yeah, so today's tech sprint is our third one. We started off quite small. Our first one was around vulnerability and access. We were about to launch a large research paper on access to financial services. And we used the tech sprint as a bit of an opportunity to explore, could technology start to unlock some of the access issues we'd identified in our research work? So we held that one. That was really how we learned how to do tech sprints. Our second one was held just at the back end of last year which was more about regulatory reporting so we know that regulatory reporting 
is a significant cost to the industry, it's also a significant cost to us as the regulator. Can technology offer a more efficient, more cost-effective way of submitting the data that we need? And are there different ways of approaching it? And we think that's a, that's a big space where RegTech can get involved. Okay, and so, so from your point of view, what links looking at data and mental health in a financial context? So one of the things that financial services providers have, which is almost a unique position, is they have a huge amount of day-to-day transactional data. So, for example, your bank has a very, very good view of how your life's going at the moment, what you're spending, how frequently you're spending, whether you're overdrawn, all of those kinds of things. So there's a great opportunity that comes to to really look at that data and see, are there any indicators that are in there for uh, mental health? So can we see increased spending patterns? Actually, can we see individuals restricting themselves from spending in an abnormal way? So I think that we found it quite interesting to think about when you have that array of information and data available to you, what can you do with it for good? Okay, so you've got a lot of people here today and over yesterday working on the tech sprint to try and look for these solutions. What are the kind of outcomes you're hoping to see by uh, by the end of today? So I'm really hoping that we have done as we've done in the previous tech sprints, which is start to foster the conversation and the collaboration between fintech firms and bigger providers and charities and policy institutes that are interested in this topic. That for me is a big win. I think there will be some interesting solutions that the teams have started to deliver. Um, It would be excellent if we could get one of those to market. We know though that there isn't going to be one silver bullet solution that is the answer to all of these problems. So effective small solutions that make a big difference to a small number of people are just as good as seeking out a silver bullet. And I think a question that quite a few people might have is people generally have around data is about privacy. So what privacy issues do you think there could be with making this um, anonymised transaction data available, if there are any? So I think the fact that we anonymise it um, helps us a lot. It is not personal information about individuals. I think there are more interesting and more difficult questions that we need to work through when you do get down to a personal level. So when it becomes identifiable, we're going into this with the best intentions and we'll need to work through those issues as, as they come along. So I think what li- links in with that is, is that when you are finding these kind of patterns, as it were, in the data, obviously has there been a thought about what would happen if banks inadvertently become almost responsible for identifying abnormal behaviour and, and what happens if they suddenly become almost diagnosticians um, for mental health? What, what, is, what have people been saying about that or what do you think about that? It's a really difficult issue and I think it's one that everybody here would acknowledge that we will need to think about and, and work on more as we develop our thinking in this space. And I think the important thing for me and the team on this has been, we just need to start somewhere. We know that this is a big issue. We know that one in four adults in the UK will experience a mental health issue, and that one in four of those adults that do will experience problem debt. So actually, if we don't start somewhere, we're, we're never going to know. So we, we really do want to start to think about it. And then as those issues start to arise, to really think about those um, in a deeper way. So, Joe, is there anything over the last two days that you've seen that's really excited you? So, prior to running this event, we ran a data bootcamp, which was essentially to tell all of the developers and participants, this is the data we have available, these are the systems that we have available, here's some examples, here's some experiences that you'll be working with. And I opened that data bootcamp and shared my own experience of dealing with depression and mental health, actually, throughout my life. 
And I was really heartened to hear one of the developers, who I shall not name, who took me aside at this event and said, that made a huge difference for me. That made me see it in a different light. That made me think about, actually, I can be a successful person in a professional world when suffering from a mental health condition, but has also changed the way that they have looked at developing this particular set of solutions uh, in respect of this event. So that was... That was example number one of, of, of something I've been really heartened by. The other thing that I think has been really exciting has been to see one of our judges wandering around the room. So Pete Trainer is here, he's wandering around the room and getting to know each of the teams. And whilst we provided a set of personas about types of mental health issues that the teams might like to tackle, Pete has been the person who has said to people, is there anybody in this team who's actually experienced a mental health issue and got people to disclose and then has encouraged the teams to work towards fixing the solution for that person on their team? So the little thing that would help them. Um, and some of the teams have risen to that challenge, others are continuing with the personas, but I think we've started some really good conversations and also we've got some solutions that there are real people here who can say that would make a difference for me. I think that's absolutely fantastic and thank you so much for sharing your story and it actually links to a question I really wanted to ask which is about a role for professionals to actually speak out more about mental health issues because there is obviously still a stigma and and do you think that professionals um, have a role to encourage others and show other people that it's okay to talk about this kind of thing? I think absolutely I think it's a difficult one because uh, your own struggles with your own mental health you have to get there in your own good time. Um, as to when feels like a good time for you to talk and that doesn't matter if you are the chief executive of a FTSE 100 company or somebody in a more junior position inside of one of those companies you have to get to a place where you're comfortable with it and you own it as your own I think there are lots of opportunities to speak out as a professional and I see the difference that it makes when you do that um, to people in terms of thinking about the career that they can have going forwards and the life that they might lead going forwards. So I think if you can, if you can get comfortable with it for yourself, I would encourage anybody to talk about it. And there's lots of fora where you can do that. We work with the um, City Mental Health Alliance and a number of other voluntary groups that do encourage professional firms, do encourage senior professionals to talk about their own struggles with mental health. So, so interesting. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Joe, and thank you, Harriet. I think we'll all agree, Harriet's been a tremendous addition to the FinTech Insider family, and we look forward to hearing more from Harriet in the near future. And of course, the winners are in. There are a number of awards given out on the day, and the awards were broken down as follows. The Jump Award for showing the biggest jump forward for the industry, the Eureka Award for most original development, the Fast Award for the solution that could be quickest to market, and a highly commended award. Uh, the Jump Award was given to a tool designed by a team from Capital One. Customers set the type of controls they want when they overspend, from simple notifications to blocking certain types of transactions or freezing their card. To unfreeze their card, they would have to pass a game designed to test their attention span and reaction time. Especially helpful for people who need that little bit of friction in the process sometimes. Sometimes friction can be useful. The Eureka Award was won by Baringa. Uh, Baringa Software in the UK, uh, Go Henry, and Cambridge Cognition, in fact. They analysed a wealth of financial and non-financial data to try and understand when people need greater support and actually connect them to the type of support that they want and the type of support that works for them, which is truly powerful. The FAST Award was won by Monzo. They built a jam jar tool. Um, they also worked with Air, Shift Design, and iProof to produce this. And it plans your month for you, putting aside money you need for upcoming bills and identifying recurring subscriptions. 
The highly commended award went to a system designed by team members of Imperial College, PwC and the RCA uh, to support responsible spending. As you can see, there are some interesting ideas here that we're not seeing in the mainstream. And not everybody's the same. Not everybody needs a one-size-fits-all solution. Definitely something to consider if you're building the fintech solutions of tomorrow. Anywho, this has been an absolute privilege to t be uh, taking part in. Thank you very much to the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. Thank you very much to the FCA. And thank you to all the teams who are involved in the FCA Tech Sprint. And thank you for listening. As always, if you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend about our podcast, and review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. We'll be back to a regular schedule with the news next week, so do keep an eye out for us uh, and subscribe. That's all for now. Until next week, thank you. Thank you.